Hello and welcome to Lego Football Podcast. Okay, on the show today we have a writer from Football Italia. Also has his own podcast now. It's called Rigore. Giancarlo Rinaldi joins me. Giancarlo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. An experienced Fiorentina expert, in my opinion. You've got to be happy with this season. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, after a number of disappointing seasons, this has actually been a season to smile about and sneaked back into Europe on the final day as well. So you know, that was the cherry on the cake, really. You know, the, the football was a lot brighter and getting into Europe after a number of years away was I think a lot of Fiorentina fans thought they might never get back into Europe the way they were playing so yeah no it's been a a positive season all round. You wrote an article back in October which I want to talk about it was a couple of months into the season Italiano had just joined and you wrote about how Fiorentina evolved in the first few months in transition from the Iacchini to Prandelli back to Iacchini era then to Italiano. The previous five seasons were poor, in your opinion. Well, most people's opinion, let's be honest. And it went from May una gioia to Ciancora Speranza again. And now there is hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, if we go back even a little further, you'll remember in the summer that um, Fiorentina appointed Rino Gattuso as, as manager and, uh, uh, you know, they were all the pictures were taken in. To be honest, his body language didn't look great. Even in the presentation pictures, it looked a bit frosty and, you know, maybe that's hindsight making me superimpose that. But even at the time, I thought this doesn't look like a man that's 100% happy in these pictures, you know, like those sort of family gatherings where you've been forced to go and visit your great auntie and you've sort of got a forced grin on your face. That was that was kind of how it appeared and sure enough, within a couple of weeks he was out the door and Fiorentina were scrabbling around apparently for a replacement and went for Vincenzo Italiano and yeah, he made that an immediate impact. I think that was a much more enterprising, attacking style of football than we'd seen under, especially under Iacchini. It, it felt like a breath of fresh air. They really were going for it in games. The tempo was much higher. I think that was the thing. Under Iacchini, you felt they still had good players, but they were just very predictable and very slow. It meant that no matter how good you were, the opposition were already in position and could cope with what you had to throw at them. Whereas under Italiano, suddenly there was a there was a greater degree of urgency. There was definitely a higher demand on the players. But you know, he, he did make an immediate impact. There's no doubt that, you know, for Fiorentina fans this was like sort of taking blinkers off and seeing the sun again because they actually produced some football that was that was worth watching and took a few scalps in the early rounds of the of the season. And you know that so there was definitely a feeling that there was reason to be cheered under Italiano as opposed to the kind of more grim fear that we were used to under Iacchini. Italiano gives that sense of hope and the season he had at Spezia was quite amazing considering he kept them up. He came in with a squad of nobodies or recycled players at his time in La Spezia there. And just going back to your um, example of going to visit the great auntie, every person from an Italian family that's listening to this, they're going to understand exactly what Giancarlo's talking about there when you're forced to go on those Sunday lunches and you're just like no please going back to the football getting Italiano in was 
the big win. He transformed the team from battling for draws, as you write about, to playing some of the most entertaining football in the division. The club record signing Nico Gonzalez. He showed promise early and was a consistent performer. And you wrote about the way he was able to reintegrate Duncan, Sotil and Amrabat. Perhaps this has something to do with Italiano's experience at Spezia, having to make do with what he's got and bring the best out of those players, as opposed to managers like Simone Inzaghi or Max Allegri, you know, your inter-Juventus coaches who simply request big signings for big money. Absolutely, yeah, no, I, th- I think that was the thing. Throughout the course of the season, I thought he was able to get a tune out of players that it previously looked like a, a disaster area, really. You know, I mean, it, 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 Cristiano Biraghi as well, fullback was one that, you know, a lot of Fiorentina fans couldn't wait to see the back of him. And yet, there he was. I mean, you'll remember there was a spell where every free kick he took ended up in the back of the net. It was absolutely astounding. And he, he took the, the sort of raw materials he had. And, and were some good, obviously, the first half of the season he had he had Dusan Vlaovic. But there were others there that, you know, weren't so weren't so heralded and yet he managed to kind of mould them into into a strong unit and, and you know, players that we'd probably lost hope for suddenly started to look quite decent again I, I would say especially at the end of the season Amrabat in, in particular but yeah right Sotil as well was another one that Fiorentina fans couldn't stand his, his end product was, was pretty terrible and it, you know it's still not perfect but you know he, he seemed to have a happy knack of picking the right player for the right occasion and that's obviously it didn't get right all the time there were some terrible setbacks so you know you have to you have to give credit a coach can do that then I think he's he's definitely doing a good job and I think that's the kind of coach that Fiorentina need because you're probably not going to get well you're definitely not going to get the biggest names in the world so you have to be doing something special either with, you know, old stagers who maybe other clubs think they're past it or new faces that are just um, carving out their kind of place in Serie A. And, and he's shown himself pretty consistently to be to be very good at that. I think we both agree Italiano isn't afraid to mix things up. The stats show just seven players appeared in more than 30 games this season as opposed to 10 under Prandelli and Iacchini. They struggled to get results. I did a lot of Spezia games two seasons ago and Italiano's first spell in Serie A and the way he was able to harness some of the energy from these young players like your Agudelos or your Giazzis. I think he's brought that over to Fiorentina and he's been able to some of the powers from the likes of Sotil at times. Even Caleon has a second lease of life under Italiano as opposed to Iacchini. He also showed that with the goalkeeper, Jogowski was the number one choice the previous season. Terracciano started 32 Serie A games, the pole getting a handful in the league and a couple more in the Coppa Italia. There was an emphasis on, on the goalkeeper being able to play the ball out and I think Dragovsky started his first choice and he got his chance, but there were some calamitous errors and I, you know I, I bet he was unlucky that you know when a goalkeeper makes a mistake unfortunately it's it's usually either a goal or it's a red card and you're sent off and that was exactly what happened and then Terracciano came in and had a string of quality performances and did look more comfortable playing the ball out from that sometimes too comfortable there were these odd occasion sort of heart and mouth when the ball was rolling towards the net and you think what's, what's he done you know that that then helped set up attacking play that, that 
Italiano wanted, and I think that was just unfortunate that you know the Dragoski was there, and he is a good shot stopper, he is a good goalkeeper, but he just doesn't have that element to his game. And I think once it's in your mind as well, I think that's a, a terrible thing because I think every ball that's played back to you, you're kind of second guessing yourself, and you're thinking, should I just go long and hoof this? Yeah, goalkeepers are put under immense pressure because coaches want goalkeepers to basically be the eleventh outfield player. Would Dragovsky be better off moving abroad or moving to another club? And if he did, would Fiorentina go for a goalkeeper that would potentially displace Teda Channel anyway? Is there any point? A move would be good for Dragovsky now. I think, you know, he's had his time at Fiorentina and he's had some great games. But uh, I think the kind of the writings on the wall, assuming that Italiano stays, which it looks like he will then, you know, the style's not changing and he could probably do with, as with all players needs to get games and if he's only getting seven or eight games a season for someone that, you know, comes with a big reputation, then I don't think that's great for him but you're right, the Terracciano it's funny, he's just, it's not he's not a fashionable name, he's not a, you know, and, and unfortunately for him it does look like that's an area where Fiorentina are shopping around they've been consistently linked with the Vicario what a signing that would be Vicario unbelievable that would be amazing you know and I, th- I think that the only thing Fiorentina being Fiorentina I think they've alerted everyone I mean that you only needed to have eyes in your head to see that he's a good goalkeeper but I think they were possibly ahead of the competition but now they've managed to fall behind it so but you know they, they do seem to keep being linked with other goalkeepers so you know that that tends to suggest that, that Fiorentina are thinking kind of in the longer term that Terracciano is not the you know not going to be their number one option. He was always a backup goalkeeper prior to this season, really. So I think they are sort of shopping around, and I don't think it would be a disaster if he ended up being the the number one choice for next season. But at the same time, I think if you've got Europe, you've got ambitions of doing well in two competitions potentially. Then what you want is a a strong first choice, but a a good dependable backup and I think you know Terracciano always strikes me as the dependable backup kind of guy and if we use another analogy Sampdoria they started off with Aldero then Vladimir Falcone had his opportunity to come in and he did really well he ended up playing I think he was in double figures by the end of the season but Aldero came in and won his place back Drogowski couldn't do that and that's probably the big issue for the Polish goalkeeper he's 24 years old he needs to find continuity and to be second choice to the previous second choice who's 32 I mean 32 is not old for a for a goalkeeper especially when we compare to the likes of Dean Odzoff or Gigi Buffon but it's definitely alarming for Dragowski and yes Vicario would be such a mammoth signing he's owned by Cagliari obviously they're going to play Serie B they have Cranio they'll probably struggle to to hold on to Cranio as well who might not want to play in Serie B. The market's open. And and didn't Roberto Mancini call up Vicario recently in his extended, extended, extended squad? I think he called up everybody. I was I was half thinking my son might get a call up. So I thought I saw Giancarlo Rinaldi on there actually as well. So you question whether Fiorentina would be able to sustain their beginning to the campaign. Conference League, they've qualified for that. They finished with 62 points. They defeated the old enemy Juventus in the final match of the season. That is another win. Obviously, there's room to improve. But they had three three-game winning streaks this season. Huge improvement on the previous. They were all tough as well. The first one was against Torino, Atalanta and Genoa, all by scorelines of 2-1. 
They then defeated Sampdoria 3-1, Bologna away 3-2, and then Salernitana 4-0 in another three-game winning streak. The third was a win over Empoli in the derby. Then the win at the Maradona over Napoli 3-2, which I watched that game and I think it was possibly their best performance apart from the thrashing of Genoa. Then a hard-fought battle over Venezia. How did your cousin Marco find that one? <laughs> that was... did, you watch that, did you watch that together? No, we didn't watch it together. We don't, we don't live in the same town, but um, we, we treated insults over over uh, messages throughout the throughout the game. Um, I, I think he, even even Marco had to accept that, that we, I called it a one 0 thrashing because because Venezia <laughs> barely got out of their half in that game. It was a domination. Just to give some people context, Marco is Giancarlo's cousin. He's uh, the world's biggest Venezia fan. He does the pod uh, Rigore with Giancarlo. I actually called that game on the world feed and it was a total domination by Fiorentina. As you said, Venezia barely got out of their half. In fairness, Marco did had already had his sweet moment over me when Venezia won the fixture at the Pierluigi Penso. So we were honours even over the season. So we both had our miserable moments against one another. So we'll go back to Fiorentina. Then there was a three-game losing streak. It looked like it was all coming undone for Fiorentina after losing away at Salernitana. The emphatic win at the Franchi by Udinese, 4-0. That shocked me. I watched that game and Udoji was spectacular. Fiorentina had no answers. A predictable loss then to Milan. Then a win to restore hope against Roma. There's a roller coaster theme happening here. Three wins on the trot, three losses on the trot. Unexpected win against Roma, in my opinion, it was unexpected. Then the heavy loss against Sampdoria to nauseate you again. Then the cherry on the cake, as you said, with a win over Juventus on the final day. But give the listener an insight into the frustrations of supporting smaller teams. It felt a bit like people won't necessarily know the story of Dorando Pietri, the Italian marathon runner that had to be held over the line at the at the London Olympics many many years ago, but it felt a bit like that that we had set a great pace and then we were going to just collapse before we we achieved the job of Europe because really you know the door was open there at that point it, it looked like a sort of well it was a four way fight for three European places with the Lazio, Roma, Atalanta, and Fiorentina, and Fiorentina looked to be in possibly the best form of the four so. It really looked like Europa League was going to be a possibility because of the way the fixtures panned out. And as you said, you know, you had a, a run of games there which on paper looked quite good. Salernitana, Udinese, you're thinking, mm, you know, you're licking your lips thinking this this could be good. But Fiorentina, being Fiorentina, being, you know, yes, the typical sort of mid-table team or whatever, blew it. I struggle a bit to um, empathise with supporters of big clubs because they're used to, you know, anything other than a victory is like a, a shock to them, you know, and it's a disgusting um, failure and, and blemish on their club's great history. You know, they go into every game expecting to win, where when you're a Fiorentina fan, uh, I mean, you go into every game expecting anything, really. You go, you, it could be, a, it could be a glorious victory, it could be a horrendous defeat, and and everything in between, really. And unfortunately, you know, I think I alluded to this earlier in the season when I wrote about Fiorentina. There was an intensity and a pace that Italiano's football demanded that I feared might run out towards the end of the season, and it it looked to all the world until that Roma game that you mentioned. 
it looked like you know like a, an earbud running out of <laughs> that had gone flat really you know it was it, it looked like they were going to mess it up and that would just have been so so typically Fiorentina I mean I think anyone who's listening that supports Fiorentina probably a string of other clubs will know that it's it's always when the expectation is highest that they let you down um, you know when they're on a good run and they're playing the lowly team that's been struggling and usually as well you know uh, you commentators seem to curse Fiorentina because you'll mention a striker that hasn't scored in 48 games or something and sure, sure as shooting he'll, he'll get his goal against Fiorentina that's how it feels anyway Funny you mention that because I commentated the Sampdoria Fiorentina 4-1 loss for the Viola in the penultimate match of the season and Qualiarella his favourite victim was Fiorentina and he's he's not a regular starter and guess who scores and it was a fabulous goal little dink over the keeper but yes as you said there'll be that one strike that hasn't scored for a while and then Fiorentina is that kind of club to just open the the door and just welcome them in they had some highlights some really really good performances this season they beat Atalanta twice and seeing as you were you were talking about qualifying for Europe the fact that they beat Atalanta twice they had the head-to-head and going into the last round Fiorentina sat in seventh position equal on 59 points with Atalanta Atalanta had a home game against Empoli coming up and Fiorentina had to beat a team that's in the top four and it's also a team that you sold your best player to in January. You need to beat them after coming off a 4-1 loss against Sampdoria and Atalanta just have to get over the line against Empoli. What were your thoughts going into that? The only thing that gave me cause for optimism was having watched Juventus in the previous weeks. It it looked a bit like uh, the Bianconeri had started their summer holidays early as soon as they got that fourth place in the bag, which, you know, was the bare minimum for, for Juventus to be achieving. And then they started to give space to younger players and you know they, they definitely weren't playing with the same intensity I mean you remember it, it wasn't so long back in the season that they were still outside shots for the Scudetto because you know all the top teams kept slipping up and, and not getting the points but as soon as they were kind of knocked out of contention it was almost like that knocked the stuffing out of them and they were quite flat so that did give me that did give me some hope. Empoli, despite the heroics of their goalkeeper, you thought, well, eventually Atalanta will find a way through, and you know that that news is going to filter through, and and that's going to put even more pressure on Fiorentina against Juve. As a veteran watcher of Italian football, um, I knew that sometimes in the final games of the season you get results that surprise you especially when a team that's still got something to fight for plays against a a team that no longer has anything to fight for precisely so that was really you know that was really what what gave me some optimism against because it was a curious it was a curious game against you it didn't quite have the the poisonous edge that to me anyway it didn't feel like it had quite the poisonous edge that normally clashes with Juventus had it was it was almost as if Juve were going through the motions and once they did go behind really their even their reaction to it was was quite was quite flat not to say that Fiorentina didn't deserve the win and then they did go for it and they did have a lot of a lot of possession, but equally, you know, that's happened before, and they've lost games. Um, but it was it was great, I think, to to go out and 
get you know at, at least some um, recognition. It's uh, achieve something with your season and get into Europe and and to do it against the, the team that you dislike the most was was certainly a was certainly a pleasant experience. And you know the Fiorentina fans were certainly delighted to put one over the old enemy. Get a European place back was 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 quite a delight. And for listeners out there that don't really understand the Juventus Fiorentina rivalry, it stems back to Roberto Baggio. I'm not sure if it goes back beyond that. Goes back a long time. I, mean, I think the biggest the biggest incident prior to that was in the early 1980s when Fiorentina led the league for most of the season, and on the final day, Juventus overtook them. And Fiorentina needed to match Juve to get a playoff for the title. It would have been at the time Fiorentina had a goal ruled out um, controversially for a for an alleged foul on the goalkeeper whilst Juventus were awarded a penalty. Liam Brady converted the penalty to win the league for Juve and uh, at that time Fiorentina fancied uh, Melio, Melio Secondi che ladri better to be second than to be thieves um, and so you know that was a real catalyst for the, the dislike between the teams and, and then obviously ba- the Baggio transfer only compounded that sort of about nearly a decade later and, and since then the animosity between them has has remained pretty intense. I think it's it's obviously more from a Fiorentina fan. Ju- Juventini I think always at least act as if they've got bigger fish to fry but, but without a consistent um, rival in Tuscany to play against in Serie A Fiorentina have kind of made that their derby and even the, the the choreography before the Juventus game is always a big deal and you know and, and, and that game obviously there were some pointed jibes towards Dusan Vlaovic as a, seen as perceived as a traitor to to Florence to to move to their most their most bitter rivals or whatever so you know it's it's always a big occasion even as I say even though Juve didn't have much to fight for it's still a big deal for Fiorentina fans and for Florence yeah well Juventus is seen as a boogeyman by almost every club in the top division so it's unsurprising to me that most teams would love to beat Juventus but Fiorentina did it on the last day what you do have over Juventus although you did sell Vlaovic you sold Baggio but you, you got rid of Benedeschi so well, a small win there and we sold them Felipe Melo for 20 million which is one of the greatest pieces of business Fiorentina ever did so you know we've we've had a few we've we've put one over on them a few times in the transfer market at least yeah and and look another little notice we have to give yes Benadeschi can perform at times but he's definitely not the signing that Juventus thought they were going to get the highlights of the season beat Atalanta twice you beat AC Milan 4-3 thrashed Genoa 6-0 that was Dusan's last game that was also the game where Biragi got his free kick brace which was simply outstanding I actually did that game as well that came off the back of the 4-0 loss to Torino which was paradoxical the two games unbelievable that you can go out and lose 4-0 then yes Genoa were going through a coaching change I think they just sacked Shevchenko and Fiorentina come out and did the business it was start to finish just it could have been 10-0 it really could have been and yes some of the goals were were freakish Beragi's brace was amazing was that the highlight of your season which which of the of the wins was the highlight for you well, I, I mean, I don't like to cause my sort of presenter and interviewer pain, but actually 
the, the Copa Italia game with Napoli was one of the was one of the highlights of the season when uh, when Fiorentina down to ten men for for most of the game were were able to show the the grit and determination to to get through and to get through in that game. Um, they did, and I, I can't blame you. I can't fault you for picking that game. We also got them in Serie A three two at the Maradona. That Coppa Italia game was at the Maradona as well, and it was was it two two at full time. Napoli were down to ten men. They equalised two two. It was it was well. Fiorentina were down were were down to ten men at, at half time, and then managed to get ahead two one, and then yeah, Napoli equalised late on, and and then had the man sent off as well. And then Fiorentina somehow managed to carve out a win five two in the end, which you know any any win over over Napoli is is hard to get. But you know the, it showed a lot of grit and determination and some some good football. But the, the win in the league was also a, a you know a, a big a big big win, and I thought the the, the win over Roma at, at, towards the end of the season as well was another big result again against maybe a team that was distracted by other things you know Roma did look a bit disinterested and and more focused on their conference league and as it turned out rightly so but just the same you know after that was off the back of such a terrible string of results that you know to get a win over Roma who are always a tough team for Fiorentina that was a big performance and a big and a big plus as well and 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 to look back and be able to say that we beat the champions of Italy with 4-3 over over Milan as well was you know there were a number of highlights in the season and those there, there's a poem about the girl with a curl on her forehead and she's you no know, when she's good she's very very good but when she's bad she's horrid and that is that was that was how that was how Fiorentina's season really panned out you know there were some very good highs there were some very bad losses and they all seemed to come early evening midweek games seemed to be a curse for for Fiorentina Monday night or Wednesday the the Udinese one the Torino one I think Samp as well there was certainly a string of games that I know uh, I rushed home from work to watch and I I wished I hadn't bothered because they were always like two goals down after about Five ten minutes. It, they were they were terrible in those games. But but as I say, that the highlights um, were were enough just about to outweigh the outweigh the disappointments. As a as a season where you get into Europe would suggest you you know you have to have more more good times than bad. Absolutamente. It's one of those seasons that Fiorentina fans have to be happy with. It, it is a successful season, especially considering the difference in the previous years building up to this Italiano taking over did you approve of his 4-3-3 playing style yeah it's it's quite a demanding formation i think and it's it's quite an attacking formation as well you know so it it can you know, I, I think maybe that's why when it goes wrong it goes quite spectacularly wrong because you have to take the initiative um, you have to impose yourself on the opposition with a 4-3-3 and if you don't I think you can leave yourself open I mean I, I thought they were undone in different ways um, but in the, these sort of calamitous defeats I mean I thought Udinese were able to soak up the pressure and catch them on the break brilliantly Torino were able to outmuscle them as Torino can um, you know so the, the, and the, the, the Samp game Again, was seemed one where they were, they were out hustled and 
couldn't impose themselves on the on the game. So, but globally, yes, um, I did approve it. And it, it, you know, we have some quite exciting wide players at, at Fiorentina. So, a four three three allows you to get Sotil, Saponara, Icone, hopefully Callejon, whoever it might be, and above all this season, Nico Gonzalez, it gives them, you know, licence to attack and terrorise defences. So, you know, in, in terms of making uh, Fiorentina a team to watch, the, the 4-3-3 was good. As I say, it, you know, it, it did put pressure sometimes on the defence and it, it was quite demanding, I think, physically for for the three in midfield in particular. You know, there's a lot of work to, to get through and, you know, we were quite lucky to have Lucas Torreira who slotted into that role in, in front of the defence so well to to do a lot of the a lot of the dirty work really that allowed those attacking players to flourish. Yeah. And when you look at this formation in that last game against Juventus, there is a quite improved defender, in my opinion, Igor, who did a really good job against Napoli as well. Uh, you've got Biragi on the left. Venuti can slot in and play on that right side at the back. Uh, Martinez Cuarta not getting as many games as I expected him. I expected him to grow a little bit more in this season. And uh, Nastasic is almost non-existent. Also, Terzic can play a role and he usually plays on the left. You've got uh, Amrabat and Bonaventura with Duncan who who started that game against Juventus. Duncan has been a revelation for me this season. So much depth across the board. You've got Odria Zola who can step in at right back. Castrovilli who can come into midfield. Ikone who can play either flank up forward. The only deficiency I, I could see was depth after Cabral and Piatek with the Kokorin. Surely he will move on and they might go for a, a, bring someone through from the academy or maybe continue to use the Russian as a, a third bit part striker to play a few minutes here and there. What do you see there with Piatek and Cabral? And which do you think perform better after Vlaovic's departure? Piatek did make an immediate impact when he came uh, more than Cabral, but Cabral did score a lovely goal against Napoli that, that hinted that maybe he's got more potential, I think. Um, so uh, given that Piontek is alone, whereas Cabral is a purchase, I suspect that you know they'll keep faith in, in Cabral and hope to kind of build a team around him. The the Kokorin thing was it was inexplicable at the time why Fiorentina signed him and now you know it, it, desperation it, it was it was a desperation move in the hope that he could find the form that he previously had and unfortunately they they appear stuck with him really you know he's getting quite a decent wage and he doesn't seem to have any intention of going anywhere I mean to call him a bit part player would be an insult to bit part players really he just comes on and ambles around for for five or ten minutes and then goes home and collects the collects his paycheck you know so I, I think they on what he's done at Fiorentina, I don't think anybody's going to take a, a risk on him. So they may well be stuck with him. But I, I do think, you know, it would be nice to see someone come through um, from the Primavera or whatever. But I think the reality is it probably will be shopping around looking for another. I don't think Piontek did enough for for Fiorentina fans to be sort of clamouring for him to be the to kind of the backup striker to Cabral, if you will. So you know, I, th- I think they will be they will be shopping around to look to strengthen in that 
position. Um, be that as you know, if they have faith in Cabral, they'd back up for him. Or if they don't have as much faith, then you know, possibly someone that's going to take his place. I'm not sure, um, but it's certainly a, it's certainly a place. You know, they've, they're overloaded with wide players. But they're not so, they're not so gifted. Um, uh, since Vlahovic left, with with someone to actually stick it in the net. Yeah, well, they need the big man, and, and Cabral is huge. We all know what Piatek can do, and his history in Serie A from Genoa to Milan, and then shooting off to the Bundesliga, and then now coming back, he did make that immediate impact. Cabral came over at the same time. He cost 14 million euros roughly. I know that he came through Palmeiras. He then came through the Swiss Super League and he just turned 24. I think he's shown us glimpses of what he can do. I really rate Arthur Cabral. I've I've researched Cabral quite a little bit um, when he was signed and you'd seen him play in the UEFA Conference League. I think he scored something like 13 goals in the Conference League before Fiorentina signed him. Huge potential there. He's also been called up by Brazil once before. To me, he just looks like that big, stocky figure up forward with an amazing physique, huge legs. He, he resembled that Igor build to me that meets, uh, you know, a little bit of the agility of like Chiro Immobile, probably not as uh, fast as an Immobile, but he's got definitely got a big uh, array of skills and he just offers that a little bit of mobility that Fiorentina look for playing that 4-3-3. A call-up for Brazil in their current form is, is pretty good. Uh, let's hope that he can really add to Fiorentina and Italiano's artillery. I think he, well, he only got two or three goals in this season, didn't he? He didn't get a lot of service either. I mean, that's the thing that Vlaovic could do that he can't do yet is convert from a very small number of chances really you know Vlaovic wasn't getting an enormous amount more service but he just had that green to that determination to win the ball and get a shot away um, even in the small number of chances that he got Cabral were still waiting for that but I feel there's still time for him he's young enough and he looked promising enough and not to curse him with um, sort of predecessors but um, the the last time that Fiorentina went shopping in the Swiss league for a striker I think was possibly Mo Salah and he turned out to be alright so hopefully hopefully that route is is going to work out again for the Viola. Mo who? Uh, so <laughs> big win over that Juventus lineup. you know it's not a bad team it was uh, Bonucci and Chiellini and Delict at the back and Chiellini's last match in Serie A he leaves with a loss, uh, former Fiorentina player, he started off there. Uh, also as a left-sided defender, didn't he, uh, Giorgio Chiellini with, with Fiorentina, not just a central defender. He's now leaving the international arena. You've got to hail Giorgio Chiellini for who he is and what he's done, and he lifted the trophy at Wembley. So you named Lucas Torreira as your player of the season. Tell me why. It, because he gave Fiorentina something that they hadn't had for quite a long time, which was a someone playing in front of the defence who could um, sort of control a game and, and also kill a game when you got ahead. He was able to kind of just take a bit of the sting out of the game and, uh, you know, pick a pass. It, you know, it wasn't doing anything 
all that spectacular at times but it was just exactly what Fiorentina needed they needed someone for the team to revolve around someone to pick the ball up from the defenders someone to shield the defence someone to play the ball through to the to the forward players as well and you know surprisingly for a man that didn't get many goals I think he got five goals for Fiorentina this season yeah. which is best ever haul. That was a happy bonus really that he he, he scored those goals he, he, and he gave a he gave a determination to the team that as I say in previous seasons we were slow and predictable whereas he was the man that kind of went and grabbed the ball off the opposition took the game by the scruff of the neck and said you know we're here to we're here to win. He, he, sometimes it went too far you know he does sometimes lunge into a tackle and can be prone to a booking or a, a red card. But over the season, I thought he was just a, a standout, a standout performer for Fiorentina that that really helped to raise the level of their overall play. He also scored that goal against Venezia to win one nil, uh, which your cousin would be quite distraught with. I, I do remember he rose high against Genoa to head home as well in that 6-0 thumping. He's a short man, Lucas Torreira. Overall this season, Torreira was the standout player. So what do you think of Torreira's chances of becoming a permanent Viola player? Well, he, he, I would hope they were good, but it has been, unfortunately, it seems there's a bit of a stumbling block um, in terms of agreeing wages. And it, it seems, you know, you never know all the ins and outs of these things looking from the outside in, but it looks like there was a sort of a deal agreed. I mean, he's, he's currently was on loan from Arsenal and I think he's surplus to requirements at Arsenal. And it, it looked like, you know, there was a price agreed, there was a wage agreed, everything was kind of in place for him to to be kept at Fiorentina. He loves Florence, um, he settled in really well. So, you know, every every all the indicators but this is this comes back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, Fiorentina when everything's set fear and everything looks good, they find a way to mess it up. And it, it, at the moment it looks a bit that way that, you know, by as I say, reports seem to suggest that Fiorentina are trying to quibble about the wage a little and try to get a bit of a reduction on everything and you know so it would be a bit of a disaster to um, to mess that all up because you know the, it looks as if all the elements should be there for the deal to go ahead and for a player who as I say was a standout for the club this season to, to carry on next season and for, for seasons to come. So, but unfortunately, as I say, this sort of quibbling and you, you'll know that Rocco Comiso does have a bit of a bee in his bonnet about agents and how much money they get and he seems to be on a crusade. As my cousin mentioned on our podcast, it's great to have that crusade, but if you're the only one doing it, someone else takes advantage. You know, that if you if you quibble and try to get the agent's fee down or whatever it is that's as laudable as it is the the football system still set up for these these deals to go ahead and you'll find some other club will be smart enough to nick in and take a player that you really could have used um, and you end up having to kind of scrabble around to try to find a replacement and it was all well and good that you know Sofian Amrabat did have a good end to the season but you know I, I think Torreira especially 
with having to play on two fronts next season. I think you need as many options as you can get, and he was he was an outstanding option. So, but as I say, it would be typical Fiorentina to uh, mess it up and you know have a deal that appeared to be in place to keep the player, but but end up not keeping him. Precisely, I couldn't agree with you more. They don't want to bottle that one up. Torreira, in my opinion you cannot substitute Torreira in this team, not for too many games consecutively anyway. And Amrabat, great backup. And yes, he can do a job. I'm not sure if you can rely on him to be your number one pivot or central midfielder. Maybe Pulgar. I'm not sure if he would come back into the equation if Torreira did leave. It's, it's not unlikely that an Italian would haggle for the price. Never heard of that before uh, in history. So look, in the end, eight points off Juventus who finished fourth. That's the gap between where Fiorentina is now and Champions League qualification. Italiano knows what's needed for next season. Anything else that you would change about this squad? It's pretty well known. I mean, we've mentioned the goalkeeping situation. They want to get, I mean, you want to get to a position where you've got a standout first choice and a dependable backup. So, you know, I think there's no secret, as I say, that they've been shopping around for goalkeepers. Right back has been a long-term problem. Um, I mean, I quite like Venuti, but you know, a lot of Fiorentina fans don't. He did have some calamitous errors this season. Odrizola did make a good impact, but it doesn't look like they're going to be able to agree a deal with Real Madrid to um, to keep him. So that's going to be another position that that Fiorentina will be looking to will be looking to strengthen. And as I say, up front the striker option, there's a bit of you know work to do and and how that plays out. Cabral to me is is a solid first pick and then it's about getting someone that can you know step in when when he's have when he's struggling i think i think the midfield is is pretty well formed you mentioned Marley, you know you've got bonaventura you've got castrovilli there, there's quite an array of good players in there and and in the wide roles as i say they're sort of spoiled i don't think they're going to look you know they have to try to find a way to get the best out of Ikone because it's another um, player that they've spent a fair bit of money on but the, the thought of Ikone and Nico Gonzalez as your kind of first choice wide men for whatever striker is is quite a mouth-watering one so you know there's there's just a bit of fine-tuning whether, whether you know as always with Fiorentina whoever plays well for you is always the subject of transfer rumours and Nikola Milenkovic was back this season to about his best and he's been constantly linked with a move to the the English Premier League um, so you know if you lost him I mean you rightly name checked Igor who was a big big um, step up player this year really really came on and, and really adapted to Italiano's tactics very well so you know you'd hope I think there are talks with him ongoing about extending his deal. So, you know, you'd hope to have some kind of consistency there because that became the Milenkovic-Igor partnership certainly became the best central defensive pair. And I would, like yourself, I was disappointed that Martinez-Quarta didn't... um, 
that really feature more or really do more to deserve to feature. I think he's a lovely footballer, but he just might not be the footballer that Fiorentina need right now, which is a shame because he's he is an, undoubtedly an outstanding talent. So you know, the, the, the central defensive thing kind of depends a bit on if Milenkovic and indeed Igor stay, then you know it would be about maybe getting a getting a dependable backup to them and letting Martinez Quarta um, have the chance to get more regular football somewhere somewhere else. So it's not I don't there's certainly not a major overhaul required. It's just about a bit of fine tuning to to get a team that is is you know it's been a while since they've had to try to um, play on two fronts. So it it will be about getting a squad that is is capable of doing that. But as I say, in wide areas in midfield, I think they're quite well covered and well provided for. But you know there, there's a bit more work to be done. At, at, right back and um, as I say possibly goalkeeping and, and the centre of the attack Sure and a bit of Fanta culture if I was to offer you perhaps Vicario in goal and I don't know Belotti as a substitute striker an option for Cabral or maybe they could interchange would you take those two? Oh yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> I'd be more than more than happy with those and, um, Vicario would be fantastic um, Belotti a lot of Fiorentina fans again are saying you know he's He's done. He's not. You know. He's not the player he was, and he certainly he's not the player he was. I mean, there was a golden spell where everything he kicked ended up in the back of the net. He's not. He's not that player. But I think you still know that certainly in Serie A, he's still assuming he can stay fit. He'd be a. He'd be a solid double figures goal scorer for you. You know, and and I think he would be a good man for. Um, Cabral to learn from as well. So you know, yeah, no, absolutely. If if you've got that power, David, then you know, send me the paperwork and I'll sign it tonight. Okay, I'll just uh, send over an email to Rocco and see what happens from there. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thanks for joining the show, and I know that you're pumped for this. The Curva Fiesole will be singing loudly in Europe next season. Fiorentina are back. Giancarlo Rinaldi, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. You can find Giancarlo at at Jinkers on Twitter. You can also read more of what Giancarlo's writing at Football Italia 